Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of thecomicscomic.com, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and first in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Today's guests, Ralphie May and Lana Turner. I met Ralphie at the Tempe Improv shortly before all of you saw him competing in the inaugural season of NBC's Last Comic Standing in 2003 when he finished runner-up. He since has recorded four Comedy Central specials, and in 2015 released his first Netflix stand-up special, Unruly, and he has a second special for Netflix in the works. Lana, who married Ralphie in 2005, released her first stand-up special, I Wrote a Song About It, in 2014. It's available on Hulu. I spoke to the couple about their careers and their relationship from the green room of Gotham Comedy Club in New York City before they were set to perform. So let's get to it. So I'm here with Ralphie May and Lana Turner. I watched I watched both of your specials back to back. Oh wow. Which I thought provided a great symmetry because I watched Lana's your uh, so I wrote a song about this which opened with a montage of you getting up in the morning, the kids and Ralphie and the dog, the English bulldog. And then at the end of, of Ralphie May's Unruly on Netflix, the family comes back out at the end. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. It's, it's oh, like, they're like so a year funny. older. <laughs> yeah, right? That's so funny. It's personal growth. Yeah. Um, but last things first, before you were comedians full-time, what was your last job that you had that wasn't comedy? Um, I was a drug dealer the last thing I did besides comedy um, I just sold weed never um, you know it was always good weed it was never a full gram um, but that was my job job but the last like official job I had right because you don't get um, noticed you know, does that mean like before you even started stand up like the job that you did or while you were like hustling before you were making money doing stand up the last the last job you had before you could quit that to be a full time oh, oh uh, I was a chef I was a chef. I cooked, and uh, um, but yeah, basically, moreover, it was just a cover for drug dealing. Just, a, <laughs> just a way to funnel money, you know, you weed said money. Drugs. Through. It was weed. You were it was just weed. Yeah. <laughs> Every now and then, I'd sell ecstasy, but you know, you'd get it for two fifty a pill in El Paso, and you could sell it to white kids in Houston at uh, twenty bucks a pop. So why not? You know. No, do you give notice as a as a no hot, hot no. dealer? He's like, I'm, I'm you just giving you stop. two weeks. I'm not doing you that just anymore. Stop. You just stop. Uh, for me, it was it was helpful to move. You know, just stop and move. But yeah, it was easy. How did you feel about about giving giving all that up, the chef thing, and, and like launching full? It was a little scary. Comedy? It was a little scary because you know you have to believe in yourself. You know that's always scary. Um, but, uh, you know, trusting in who you are and, and hopefully you make it. If not, well, you gave it a shot, you know. But, you know, we never thought that we would make it. We we thought we'd just be like living in the middle of nowhere, basically on a teacher's salary, just loving what we do and doing what we love. We never thought they'd, get, they'd pay us real money There's for so it. many comics that just do make a living but they just don't live in LA or New York it's just that's where the hustle starts because even when I started stand-up in Houston never really had a full-time job it just kind of you move from 
whatever you can find to make money, whether cleaning houses, teaching defensive driving, yeah. we both did that. And like in LA, just temp work and I've catered parties and stuff. Yeah. But I cleaned Jeffrey Ross's apartment. Yeah, I did yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we did anything we anything, could Anything, just for cash or whatever, just to, you know, so to supplement the money you're making from your gigs. But before starting stand-up, um, the last full-time job I had was working for a morning news TV station. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I just started stand-up when I was there, but, like, doing open mics. And that's the job. I, that, would, that would be the profession that I quit to go into comedy. In that, in that role, uh, did you find yourself... Um, drawn to interviewing performers live on the show was it or was it or was it just a straight when i was doing that i was kind of like low level in the in the tv station doing kind of anything and everything that i kind of moved from an internship into the like an employment type thing but um but i was in journalism before getting that job i used to work as a a journal like a photojournalist okay i was really passionate about that that was like I did that for many years, and that was really cool. But um, but in that case, yes, I loved photographing live shows, and and I started doing that in high school so I could sneak into shows because I didn't have money to go. So I'd just go in and shoot the show, and then hustle the images afterwards. When's the last time you shot a show, comedy or music? Or um, I tried to do some photography, maybe not live entertainment type stuff, but just shoot images in LA to make money. And it was too hard because I think in order to be successful, in that in either field you have to be super devoted because that's also like creative and competitive so really it was around that right before I started 16 years ago whatever a long time ago so even before that who was the first comedian who might have influenced or inspired you to go hey this is something that that I could do or that I want to do that I want to aspire to do um for me it was uh Johnny Carson I remember my grandmother letting me stay up late on Friday nights and watch his monologue, and I would, I would have to watch the news every night. Uh, my granny made me watch the news because she's like, "This is how you learn about life and what the world really is," and um, and so his monologue was so topical that I knew the topic when he's brought it up and. And I was so naive at nine to know that Johnny would build in jokes that bombed on purpose because his recovery lines were so brilliant. All right, for me, I just thought my jokes were funnier. You know, my grandma was laughing and he just bombed with his joke, okay? And so I thought that's what led me to want to do it, you know? At, at, uh, as I was becoming a teenager, stand-up comedy was getting hot for the first time in the 80s. And, um, you know, all those guys were, I had all their albums, uh, Sam Kennison to, to Eddie Murphy before him and uh, Richard Pryor before them both and, and listening to all those guys. And then at 17, winning a talent show contest to open up for Sam Kennison was my launching point. You know, that's what's turned me into stand-up, was moving to Houston and just following in his footsteps. Was there was there a joke or a bit in particular that that made you realize oh this this is gonna work out for me? Um, my first I thought was a good piece of comedy was talking about the captain of the Exxon Valdez, how he hit the state of Alaska. Uh, how do you, how drunk are you to hit a fucking state? 
You know, it's a pretty good idea for a 17-year-old, you know. I thought it was a pretty good idea. And and I had a, and it all ended up with a modification of a of a, uh, a sea ditty. What are you going to do with a drunken sailor? And I said, put him at the helm of an Exxon tanker. All right. And uh, it was, so uh, it was my first it was my first big bit. And, uh, uh, you know, that was a uh, Sam liked. And, and uh, I got to, I won a talent show contest to open up for him. And, and the rest, he told me to move to Houston. And six months later, I moved to Houston. You know, I had to, I had to wait a little while. Yeah. I couldn't just run down there in the middle of school. No, you're a responsible young yeah, man. Yeah, right, exactly. You're a responsible exactly. young man who deals drugs <laughs> and cooks. And has evergreen jokes about the Exxon Valdez. Exactly, exactly. No one does that. Well, what about for you, Lana? Who was the first comedian? So, who? I was a huge fan of stand-up. Um, we used to go every week to see this like comedy sports as well and then every week to see the open kind of like the the local feature show in Houston through high school I would go all the time but I never saw any females and um, certainly not young females like if there were they were like you know heavy set angry women and uh, I just never thought this was something that I would do Um, but I did love writing songs and I had a really good friend in college named Francis Chan I'm still friends with him and we were driving from San Marcos to Austin, and he popped in a tape <laughs> of a woman who sang funny songs, like singer-songwriter stuff, not stand-up. But, and I thought, oh, that's cool. Maybe I can write some funny songs, because I was writing songs anyways. And uh, so, oh, hey, guy. Hey. Oh, hey. So, um, this is going to be interesting. You <laughs> have all these interruptions. But, yeah, I ended up writing a couple funny songs, and then... It was suggested that I go into the last stop, so that's kind of how I found my way there. But I was already like in love with comedy. I just didn't know it was an option. If that's like, it's like growing up as a young woman, you don't always think about being a firefighter and stuff. It's just so predominantly male. And now it's there's a lot more women, but back then there wasn't anyone. So, so what what was your first song that uh, mm-hmm. that proved to be a hit? Um, that you knew you, this was this song's gonna work. I'd written. A, I knew that I had to pursue this because I was driving home from college, and I had heard this song by the Judds called "Daddy's Hands" on the radio. It was all about her daddy's hands and what they reminded her of. And I thought that was so funny that while I was driving, I wrote down on a piece of paper next to me my own version of it, how daddy's hands, they were rough in the right places. And like, you know, and um, put the lyrics on the seat next to me. And I was kind of singing it as I was going on the road, just thinking that was so funny. And I hit a tire, it like flew out in front of me, flipped my car on the freeway and totaled my car. Um, And the lyrics went out the window. And I was walking around the accident in shock, and I picked up the lyrics and stuck them in my pocket. And the next morning, I was hurting all over, and I grabbed my guitar, and I finished the song, and I, I was like, I have to do something with this. A year, it was almost a year later when I played it for the first time at the open mic in Houston. So. Yeah, and and the song was all about incest. Okay, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. Daddy's hands. Yeah, daddy's, yeah. daddy's, daddy's hands. hands. And, and, uh... Yeah, I remember the first time she came in. This is when we met the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had already gone up. Uh, it was at the legendary open mic at the old Laugh Stop in Houston. And uh, the, the open mic would go from 7 to 1, okay? And, I mean, there were so many comics. It was really the best open mic I've ever been a part of, I've ever seen. And... Uh, 
uh, Lana came in with her guitar, and while she was sitting, standing there with her, with her guitar, there was another guitar act on stage doing a, a whore, he couldn't play, his guitar was out of tune, and he was singing a Blue Moon parody, where at the end he drops his pants and his, he has a blue ass. Okay, that was the blue moon. All right, and and that was that was bothering us how horrible he was. He was bombing, and and he wouldn't get off, and it was just like you, this fucking garbage. All right, so I saw another guitar act, and I'm I, I, she doesn't know me from Adam. I'm such a dick. I walk up to her and I go, "Can you play that thing?" She goes, "Yeah." And I go, are you fucking funny? No, you can you sing? Yeah, can you sing? Because that guy couldn't sing either. Yeah, can you sing? Tell the story. Yeah, you, you're doing fine. You, <laughs> I just, I, I, I'm like, who's this fat asshole? <laughs> can you sing? Yeah. And then he asks me a pinnacle question right then. He goes, are you funny? And I've never done stand-up. And I'm just like, yeah, but I have no idea. And I'm just like, fuck you, you fuck like, yeah right like, i don't know who he is i didn't know he i didn't see him do stand-up that night <laughs> even if i had i wouldn't have given a shit like get the yeah. fuck away from me you fucking dick yeah right so he <laughs> <laughs> and then i went up and i had a great first set yeah she had a great first set yeah. but it was so funny with all the mean comics in the yeah. back you know all the houston haters. old fuck haters they all came they out. all came out to see her Hoping it she was gonna bomb. Uh, one guy walked through the room. I walk on stage. The crowd um, applause dies down as I'm taking the mic. He walks from one side to the other. It's not a big room, and yells out so that I can hear and everyone in the room can hear. Man, this is gonna suck. <laughs> and I was like, well, I didn't know at the time what was going on because I'd never run into anything like it. We've called, you know, that type of comedy scene. There's these different pockets around the country where people aren't supportive. There's some rare cities where people are, but they're truly like a bucket of crabs. They don't want to see anybody do well, right. and they are mean to each other. And this, that era, anyways, I don't know what it's like now in Houston, but back then they were really mean to each other. And so I just was like, what? A, what? A, I don't know what's going on, but I played three songs. She played three songs. And they destroyed. Went well. Okay, and afterwards, I uh, got swept up, and the people were rushing to talk to her. And uh, she, I, I finally found her in the back room, and uh, she's putting her guitar away. And I go, hey, that was really, really funny. And she's like, oh, who gives a fuck about you? All right, you know, you fucking asshole. I just looked at him like, oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And I'm going, no, you don't understand. I don't joke about funny. I'm very serious about it. That was really, really good. And here's it was really weird though, right then, like the whole room kind of got quiet when we were talking. Like, have you ever had these moments where you're like looking at somebody and you see, and I didn't see the asshole anymore. I, I just saw this guy that was like sweet and talking to me now. And the whole room literally got quiet around us. And I was like focused on him. And it was sometimes you just feel like when you meet somebody, something just happened, like something just churned in the world and I know it sounds really cliche and cheesy but that's how it felt I never thought it was because we would end up dating mm -hmm. I just and I and I liked the fact that he was a comic and I was interested in this but there was no chance in hell we would date I yeah. just didn't think so you probably didn't either no no I didn't think I had a shot she was way hot and she's from a great family you know uh, her daddy's yeah. an exec with Axon okay I, I'm in no danger 
Okay, I just probably didn't like your ex on Valdez. No, 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 no. He he didn't know it then. He didn't know it then. And then I, I mean, my like previous relationship, I traveled, went through India, climbed the mountain with like I, I, I never thought of there was somebody that was a heavy guy. It just never occurred to me until I got to know him. So that was the night we met. Yeah, that was the night we met. So then, when was the first time that you both realized there was something more? It was about seven something. months later. I think we were talking on the phone and yeah, stuff, Yeah, we too. talked on the phone. I mean, I was back in L.A., and she was in Houston, and we talked every day on the phone. And uh, it was just, it was fun. You know, we talked all the time. Uh, and, and and she would tell me about these horrible dates she would go on, and she'd come My home and we'd laugh. My mom was setting me up with, like... Her gynecologist. Her I never went out with him, but she set me up with these, like... Horrible people trying to get me married off, I guess, after college. They, they were afraid I'd end up living with them forever. I w- couldn't wait to get out of their house. I, you know how you... I went out... I went to college, went overseas and traveled for 10 months, came back, and it was just this, like, year where I was figuring out what to do with my life. But, um, yeah, that, that we were talking on the phone. He made me laugh. And all I had was... We just had the phone, you know? It was just getting to know a person. And um, during that time, I started to realize that maybe what we're told we're supposed to be attracted to is a bunch of bullshit because he's really attractive he's just fat and I started to try and and real recognize that that would have been my own shallowness and then and yeah that was that was a really good epiphany and then when we when I went to LA to see you mm-hmm. we, we I had a film up. in the Palm Springs Film Festival we we're already though starting to move in that direction because yeah Belmont and stuff like yeah we're already like kind of going that way but um, so when you see other comics who are dating, what's the first piece of advice you give them, I knowing the experience you guys have gone through? I don't know about about dating. I mean, there's like quite a few comedy couples that make it work, but I think I, mean, I think everybody has relationships in general are hard, right? I mean, especially for a comic. I mean, we're yeah. so insecure. We're so right. So if you have one comic and another comic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to be able to time out your insecurity. Like, when I have it, she has to be strong. When she has it, I have to be strong. You know, and you lean on each other, I think, a little bit more in a relationship, whereas opposed to you're in two successful, independent, different businesses that, you know, you know where the other's coming from. It's like, like... Very few civilian wives would understand how hard it is to do two shows when you're only working, you know, four hours, and then the next morning get up and go do press for another three hours where you're just talking, you're not actually doing anything. But it's exhausting because your mind is working all that time. You know, you're, you phys- you mentally just want to shut down. And and I've got a I've got a wife who's a comic and 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 it's some days it's her doing that and so not only does she know it from my experience and she knows it from her own self in first person how exhausting travel setting up in a hotel then doing press and then shows and it's, it's exhausting it's 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 way more than what people think it is and um, well I mean I don't even think on that level I mean you're like just a, comics have a hard time having relationships at all like right just even with each i think sometimes um the fact that he's well over 10 years in the business longer than i am puts us in two different comedy realms yeah but now that realm is now that's that's not after 15 years 
you're you're about the same as no, somebody twenty five so. years. I don't think so. I view it. I view it differently. Well, hey, hey, you know who doesn't think it's different? Hulu, because they got your special and my special right next to each other. No, I mean it's All different. Right? They see like, it at the same level. We we can. I feel like um like his career is so great because he's great. And I've also supported him all these years. And Without I do well in my life, in both personal life and professional, because I have I have a team member. And I don't know, that's sometimes really hard for comics to play well with other people. But if you are in a relationship with another comedian, just trying to be supportive of them. And, you know, and there are times, I'll admit, like there are times I'm like, God, he's he's got all this success and I'm like with the kids. But then I'm like, well, I'm also really lucky because I've got two great kids and I get to do stand-up so there you know just depends on your mindset that particular day but I mean being a part of a team makes it easier in the long run yeah in anything right and it wouldn't matter if your significant others in comedy as long as they support your dream and you support theirs that's that's a great thing well I'll let you go but before I let you go Alana um you mentioned the kids and all of the songs in your special are great but they're not kid friendly. <laughs> so, so let me ask you: What's the last song you wrote that you could actually play for your? The last kids? one I wrote, I actually don't have it fully memorized, but I played it for my daughter because she was interested in what I was doing. It's, um, I think I can play the first line. Um, we think that I don't have it down. So, um, okay, say your life is not worth living. You're irrelevant and small. You've got a gun in your hand and you want to end it all. I think this world will be better off without you and that life is just a lie. But before you pull the trigger, I have one question. Can I get your stuff when you die? Your flat screen when you die? Once your iPad when you die? You've got lots of cool shit and you won't be using it when you die. That's all, all I got. <laughs> but she liked it and she's seven. So... <laughs> So I'm a great parent. So, um, so your first experience on the road was with Sam Kennison? Uh, that was my first gig was with Sam Kennison. First time I went on the road, I was, uh, 18 and I went and opened and did two weeks at the Baton Rouge Funny Bone. And, uh, uh, the first week was with Danny Martinez and, uh, the former owner of the Comedy Showcase in Houston. He um, made me a comic. He, uh, um, uh, along with Thea Vidal, um, but I mean everybody played that room. I mean everybody in Houston, you know Bill Hicks, Sam Kinsley, everybody played his room, and uh, he was he was a great guy. He was a master a comedian, and uh, and a great guy to own a club, and he took me on the road for the first time, and then the next week, I was with uh, John Fox, the legendary old John Fox. Uh, which is funny because I come into the uh, I come into the comedy condo, and uh, John Fox is butt fucking the maid on the couch. Okay, the whole place smells of shit and fuck. Okay, I, and it just stinks. And his dick is in her. He's holding her back to keep her where she is. And every now and then, just pumping as he holds out his other hand that's that's shiny. Okay. Like eat lube or cum or something. Like I don't go, hey, good to meet you. I'm John Fox. All right, and I go, you know, I'll just give y'all some time. It's cool. All right, and uh, that was my uh, intro to the road. Uh, well, those two weeks were fucking crazy. <laughs> what you did know? you? What did you? What did you take from that as a learning experience? That apparently, if you're funny, you can butt fuck maids, and 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 always in turn, you know. Uh, give a hand of 
of uh, of welcoming to a fellow comic, you know, even if that hand is covered in jizz or lube or whatever mysterious bodily fluid that was. I still don't know, but it's like, ugh, so gross. I'm glad Lana and the kids aren't here in the room. I know, exactly, exactly. No, she knows. She knows comics are fucking disgusting. Oh, my God. We're filthy animals. Now, you know, being in the game as long as you are and having having a lot of stage presence and confidence, who is, is there anyone at this point, who is the last person you would want to have to follow on stage? Oh, man, I, I still have a long list of those guys. Um, you know, there's there's so many great comedians out there that any any night anybody can blow you off the stage, you know. And if you don't think like that, then you're dumb and you haven't done comedy that long. You know, an overconfidence just shows how stupid you really are. You know, um, there's I've seen comics blow away the best people and you never know. And I used to be that guy who would go in and fuck up, uh, you know, people's showcases and uh, get a standing ovation in front of them. You know, I used to be that guy, and now people are busting my balls like that. It's like, I need this shit in my life, you know what I mean? It's crazy. Uh, you know, right now I follow a headliner. I, I don't need this shit in my life. You know, my wife was working with me, but I always have headliners in front of me. But guys I wouldn't want to follow, hands down, Doug Stanhope. I wouldn't want to follow Dougie, yeah. okay, because... I, I enjoy him too much. I think he's the uh, most brilliant comedian. And I think he's run from success so many times uh, that he ought to change shoes. That guy's done everything to kill his career, and yet it still persists. It's like he's, he's like begrudgingly battling cancer that is comedy and success. You know, uh, so Dougie, I wouldn't want to follow. But. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't mind following Mr. Burr, Bill Burr, or uh, uh, you know uh, um, David Tell or Louis C.K. Those guys don't bother me. Dougie Dougie bothers me. He, he blows things up, man. I mean he he's other level stand up. He reminds me of Bill Hicks, all right. And, and nobody since Hicks uh, has reminded me of Hicks. I mean I think Dougie's another level of stand up that won't be hit for. Probably five, I mean, ten to fifteen years. Uh, well, I think people will start to catch up to Stanhope. How how much, having been in Houston in the eighties, how much how much did you get to see Bill Hicks when he was? I um, didn't get there until the spring of nineteen ninety. Okay. And um, I uh, I saw Hicks probably twenty five times, and uh, I got to open for him for a week. Uh, just because I was there and he was tired of the opener. Well, what happened with Bill is he was so amazing that when he would go work with people that he didn't know, that weren't friends of his for a long time, he would, uh, they would start to become him and do his topics before him. And, and the fact that I was 18, he liked that. He, he liked another teenager doing stand-up and then he goes on stage and just does I mean I went and did my shitty fucking 12 minutes okay which was complete shite in comparison to what these people were about to get hit with and then you watch Bill and you just go what the fuck am I doing in comedy and the only person who's made me feel like that since since Bill Hicks 
And I saw a lot of good ones, man. I saw Sam. I saw Andrew. I, I saw Richard on his last tour. Okay. Um, the only one who's ever made me feel incom- completely incompetent is Bill Hicks. Okay. And and uh, the the next one to do that is Doug Stanhope. Mm. You know, I mean, and, and, and Mitchie Hedberg would have moments of that. But he would also... He would bomb sometimes, you know, when he was when he was first breaking from feature to headliner. He would bomb when his audience didn't know who he was or what he was doing. You know, they would. Uh, I remember he got groans and they had to flip me one time at the at the laugh stop with him. We were co-headlining and and uh, I'd gone first and I got a standing ovation and then he was so such okay. a subdued way about himself you know he was such a uh, uh, the energy was so much lower than than mine was that he bombed in that audience you know it wasn't his fault it was it was mine you know i turned a perfectly fine audience into a bunch of rednecks wanting dick jokes you know and sometimes you got to give them what they want you know and so we flipped and but we still managed to have a great time you know we Still managed to hang out at the Allen Park Inn and do cornucopious amounts of drugs and have a great time, you know. But Mitchell wasn't into anything heavy then. He was only into hallucinogens and red wine. So it was basically a mushroom weekend. You know, we laughed our balls off. We had a great time. Then again, I would see see Mitch headline shows where there wasn't a strong opener. And he would have have a killer first 30 minutes and then... Self-sabotage. Yeah, self-sabotage a lot. You know, there's so many comedians that that self-sabotage. You know, they're waiting on a bus that they hope never comes. Because it's scary when you get put into the front, you know? You know, for years, nobody ever gave a shit about me. Because I wasn't wasn't nobody. The industry didn't give a shit about me. The fucking other comics I was cool with. There was no competition. They just knew me as just a strong act. And then I got last comic, and then I suddenly I become an asshole, you know? It's like, it's like really? I didn't change. I don't know what happened. You know, I'm still giving away free weed, you know? I don't know. I understand I can be an asshole when you get everybody stoned for free. I mean, shit, I think that's a pretty cool dude. Uh, but I, think, I think that says more about the uh, cynicism of other comedians than it does say about bit, yourself. A little bit to to a point, you know, it's it's and 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 you know, the the comedy explosion is has been so crazy. You know, there's so many guys doing stand up comedy now and that that uh, a woman is not an anomaly. You'll go see a show and there'll be six different chicks on there and it's not a you know uh the funny clits of comedy you know it's not a theme show it's not a name show it's just a mainline hilarious show and i fucking think that i think it's awesome you know i just wish i knew some of them you know and i wish they would stop acting like they all have an hour you know, fuck, you've been doing it for three years. You don't have an hour. I hate to break it to you, motherfucker. Okay? Well, Take a lap, baby. Take a lap. <laughs> well, that hasn't really changed in 20 No, years, that has years. not changed. I remember when I was three years in, I thought I had an hour, and I did not. The, the only difference now is that people can think <laughs> they have time, but it's really just 
a six second Vine video. That's oh my looped, god, that's looped three hundred times. I know it's like the uh, the whole thing with the internet headliner is an anomaly. You know, used to you had to go work. You know, you had to you do hell gigs and bust your balls and fucking. And now you put out a a remake of an '80s joke, a stand-up hack joke from the '80s, but but you act it out, and boom, you're a national headliner. You know, I mean, uh, that's happened twice. Okay, it's like I need to go through those old jokes. <laughs> All right, and then act one of somebody out. Like if if Pam Stone did it, then God damn it, I can do it again. You know, if uh, if, if every uh, shit act in the '80s with a blazer pushed up did it, then by God, let's make a video of it and go viral. It's so stupid. It's such a fucking hologram. <laughs> kind of makes Last Comic Standing seem uh, pristine. I uh, know. And what a piece of shit that was. Oh, my God. You know, I mean, it, it, it really degenerated. And, you know, because when we did it, we didn't know what we were doing. We just, right, we knew that we, you know, we were, no, it was season one. But also, I mean, I was like, guys, I'm a producer. You know, my job before that was, I was a producer on a TV show. I go, we have a chance to control ourselves and be the first people in reality that are, that are, that are knowing that it's a scene. We can create whatever we want to. And I had a meeting. I go, we've got to be fucking funny every time. I mean, every time we're on camera. We've got to be, because we can be canceled. They can cancel us. And they're going, really? I go, well, you got to understand, they can cancel us. And meanwhile, they didn't know, but I had been told by Jay, Jay was a buddy, yeah. that that NBC did not want me in that house. They never had anybody my size on their network, and they were fucking nervous. And I had to get a standing ovation every performance, otherwise they were going to fucking toss me off. Hmm. Okay? Which is... Which is kind of fucking scary, you know? And it's like, it, it, you, that's a lot of pressure. You know, when when I got, I was like, okay. And so, you know, I just did it every time. I mean, in the, in the last one I did, I got two standing O's, but I was still nervous. And that's it's probably why I didn't win. You know, it's because NBC wouldn't have known what to do with me. Mm-hmm. You know, but that that show was great until they took the the living conditions with the comedians out of it, all right? And that's when the show fell apart, you know, because people wanted to know what comics were like when they're not on stage. They found that ultimately more interesting than actual stand-up. Right. The ratings would go down when it was stand-up, all right? It, was, it, was, it would raise when we were doing crazy shit around the house. And that's what the show should be. You know, like this, this is more interesting than a podcast or just listening to an album because it's real. You right. know, it's, it's, it's happening in the moment and it's not for the masses. It's an intimate look. And so as a, as a acoustic voyeur, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're eavesdropping into someone else's conversation. Far more interesting, you know, and, and watching that than, than watching whatever they want to present. You know, and that's that's what I think the attraction was. Plus, I mean, it was the first time stand-up was in prime time. And we all took it. I, I told him, I go, look, guys, 
we're, we're depending on people to come home and that don't have a lot of money and they have a lot of options on their TV channel. We've got to make them stay with us, so we've got to be entertaining. And that's what it was. I mean, Day Mordahl and Rich Voss and Corey Kahaney, they all, they were all like producers. They produced their own comedy bits. Right, and, and, and I remember and, Voss and Mordahl doing right, like hot tub stuff. and Exactly, and right. ironing. They were producing their own bits. They were doing the job of a producer as a contestant. You know, it was like, for those people at NBC, they did not know how lucky they were that they got something. We were Emmy nominated, you know, and, and it's it's because we all worked hard as producers to, to make good show. We weren't just talent being told to, you know, dance monkey. You know, we were, like, like when I didn't like... Uh, a guy on the show and I said I don't know if he's a punk ass bitch or a bitch ass punk I fucking meant that I meant I, I'll, I'll smack you in your fucking face okay I meant that alright and and you know I think a lot of people would be like no he was, it was playing no I wasn't playing I was fully prepared to smack him alright and it was it was an element that I think you know that is there still that that like Comedy Central ought to do a show where they follow eight young comics around LA, four in LA and four in New York and see what the fuck happens over a couple of years. All right? And put it out as and it'd be their best show they've ever fucking done. You know, it would be the most watched thing they've ever ever produced. And you know what? It's a fucking shame that they don't invest in the young people. And then once they've invested in somebody and they get so hot, Comedy Central just lets them go. You know? Because they're not of a certain age. Rich Voss's um, special was fucking hilarious. And they used it as an eight minute filler between an infomercial and the start of programming. They chopped him up so much mm. and he was crushing crushing and it's like they okay you let that get get edited and and misused at fucking seven o'clock in the morning but you give some people an hour in the evening and they just suck a dick you know they're not they're not as funny in an hour as he was in eight minutes you know what i mean it's like it's like i know that might be the hip cool person but at what point do you not realize you're comedy central, right. not entertainment central? Okay, well, they, they've always been very kind of demographic. Yeah. What, what do men eighteen to twenty four? I know, which like. is such a silly thing. You know, you know what guys eighteen to twenty four have debt. They have a <laughs> lot of fucking debt and not a lot of money. Okay. Uh, you're talking about the. Like a real series, Oxygen, I think, just produced one that's cu coming out this year called Funny Women. Yeah, they follow like they followed five. They put five women together in LA and followed them around. I don't know. Well, that's it exactly hasn't come out yet, so we don't know. Yeah, but that's exactly good. what. what and it's on it, Oxygen. So and it's on Oxygen, watch. so no comedy people will watch it. Mm. You know, it's like Comedy Central allows themselves to be undermined just through sheer laziness and stupidity. You know, it's like, why aren't they cornering every part? Instead of buying more fucking Futurama, okay, 
All right, why don't you invest in a new Matt Stone and Trey Parker, okay, and do the next series, okay? Instead of spending all your fucking money on uh, uh, all this bullshit, you know, these shit acts, okay, that aren't going to fucking reap, you know, what you sow, why don't you invest in yourself and make a show that actually not only competes in cable, but would compete along the lines of network television. Network television is not the Leviathan that it once was. You know, I mean, it's easily knocked off every Sunday by Showtime and fucking AMC. They beat the shit out of networks on that. They beat fucking um, uh, Sunday Night Football. Okay? I mean, like, what the fuck? I mean, the, the, it's no way is it just network-centric now. Comedy Central is on the cusp of what could be greatness and, and, and launch it from a bullshit network to a full mature fucking something that open, that would triple its fucking uh, audience. And they resist. They resist. It's taking a chance. Or it's an investment. You know, I don't know anybody that's had a holding deal with Comedy Central that worth bragging about. They used to have holding deals all the time and they would announce the money and stuff like that. What the fuck happened to that prestige? You know? Get behind one of these festivals and go pick somebody from it. You know? I mean, you you missed the boat when he was Billy Burr, and now you can't get in line and fast enough to suck his dick now that he's Bill Burr. I remember. I remember when Billy was, was redhead and full of, uh, like, a little fro, a little <laughs> Irish Mick fro in, in L.A., and he couldn't get anybody to fucking... He was hilarious then. All right, he comes to New York, shaves his head, becomes Bill Burr. All right, and then he builds this whole thing up and comes back. I mean, it's now they all line up to suck his dick, but he was still great then. The dumb fucks didn't know. You know what I mean? Now they gotta pay me an assload of money. When then, just any sunshine would have made me loyal as fuck. You know, I'm loyal to a guy who used to run the Tempe Improv that we both know because he bonused me one time and my I got home and my car engine blew up and it, the repair was exactly what he bonused me. Uh-huh. Okay? Yeah. That's serendipity right there. That's fucking exactly. And and I was loyal to that guy way past I should have been. Mm. Okay? Because I just loved the guy, the guy who helped me out. All right? And, you know... That's what they're not doing. They're not finding the talent. They're not hunting it down, aggressively promoting and building and launching shows off of it, you know? I mean, Amy Schumer, to a degree, is coming off of it. But why isn't why isn't her first movie co-produced by Comedy Central? Why isn't Comedy Central doing the greatest uh, stand-up comedy? To, why do they allow Live Nation to take their acts... And, and that they've built up and make money off of them when they don't make any money off of them at all. It's such a dumb, not util- full utilization of what comedy could be. You know, they should be in touring. They should be in branding and records. They should have, they should have uh, their own iTunes, okay, just for comics that they represent solely, okay? And pay out the ass because they'll make it back. They'll make it back, you know, and... I just see problems with those guys. And you know what I didn't find with Netflix? Nobody gave me any shit. Nobody gave me any shit about what I was going to say. 
They didn't give a shit. They asked me to edit out a Magic Johnson joke where I say he's had it so long he might have gave it to the monkey. Okay? Alright? A joke, honestly, that I probably should have fucking taken out. You know? Right. And, and I was an asshole and left it in there. And that was the only thing they asked me to fucking tone down. And it's like, are you kidding me? At Comedy Central, that would have been a deal breaker. They would have fucking, they would have pulled the special. You know? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Netflix is the, is the future for stand-up comics. You can be free and you're international. You know, they're going to be in 22 different languages. All of our specials are. If they make it to Netflix, it's way bigger, way better than any HBO, any bullshit like that. Okay, Netflix is the future, and, and and the comics that get in on it are the ones that are gonna be the next generation's household names. So let me so let me end by asking you this then. Okay. If you were for you know I know you've had health issues. If if for some reason you had to stop touring as a stand-up, yeah. Would would your would the first thing you do after stand-up be going back to producing, but becoming an executive producer? The way you talk about what should be done in comedy, right? Like. That would be yeah yeah, and I'm thinking about actually, I'm like, thinking about having to do that just because I've been doing it for 25 fucking years, you know. It's a at some point you just go, you know. I've I've been in every state, every major city in the country, at one time or another. I I I know truck stops. I know where we are just based on the territory. I can tell you where a place is filmed. Okay, whereas a movie's filmed, you know, it's like I've toured so much that, yeah, I would like to give it a rest. 25 years is a long time, but you know what I really want to do, because I've got kids, is I think I could be a better senator than the guy from Tennessee. And I think I could represent people better, because I know the struggle. And unless you've been in the struggle, you can't know it. And I have. And it's not a white or black thing. It's about a rich or a poor thing. And and I want my children to grow up in a better place with better things. And I don't think our government is failing um, our, my children with a stupidity debt. And I think we're failing our vets and soldiers. And, and these things anger me. And, and I've... My, my vote hasn't seemed to be enough. My comedy hasn't seemed to be enough to be a political diatribe and make change. So maybe if I was a senator, I could make change. And, 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 and keep on doing it until there is change. Because I've got something invested now. I've got my children. You know, it was just me. Who gave a fat baby's dick? Okay, but now i got two babies that have to grow up in this mess whatever we leave them is theirs you know and it's like I'm, I've got to take them I'm taking them this year to go see glaciers before they're fucking gone you know I mean what the fuck man why do I have to do this why do I have why is there a rush to see glaciers alright you know and, and nobody does a goddamn thing about it and it's about time somebody did and I'm I'm okay being that dude. Why not? I'm okay. You know, Why not, Ralphie? Calling man? people. I think I think Hollywood and 
uh, could use a, being called a motherfucker. And I know Washington, D.C. could use somebody calling them a motherfucker. And why not me? You're absolutely right, Shawnee. Well, and I will. I'll sit on the floor of the fucking uh, the Senate going, that, sir, is a cocksucking dumb fuck idea. Okay? And, uh, <laughs> and then they express my full opinion. I expect in the first year to be censured at least four or five times. I'm not saying I'll make it my whole term, but it'll be a memorable one. All right? Mr. Franken can do it. I can do it. I sold a lot more tickets than Mr. Al Franken. Okay? I mean, he, he don't sell out in Atlanta. Come on now. You know? <laughs> Gotta well, give the kids something. Well, then I look forward to our next meeting when I see you on the campaign trail. I think it'll be before that, Shawnee. <laughs> I think it'll be before that. I gotta go tell right. jokes. Thanks, Ralphie. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave. Logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.